0: This is the SHIFT Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for checking out the SHIFT Weekend Podcast with John Jang. On this episode, it's Weird Science with Andrew Ferreira, a bittersweet farewell as Andrew signs off with his last Weird Science by schooling us on the history of the universe. And we also get to know our new teammate, global news anchor, Catherine Garrett. Sports reporter Adam Laskaris of Offside Sports discusses the world of soccer in Euro 2020. Plus, after tech producer Matt complained of freezing to death in his studio, we asked the shift heads, what is your ideal temperature? The answers went all over the dial. It's going to be a fun conversation here as uh, we get in touch with our man, Andrew Ferreira. A little sad because it's his last appearance here on the show, but we're also happy for him. So let's not wait any further. It's time for Weird Science.
2: Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. (laughs) Weird Science.
1: Andrew, it feels bizarre to me that this is the last time I'm going to hear that wonderful intro and the wonderful person that is you, sir. How are you?
3: Yeah, you know, strange feeling. Yeah, I bet. Strange feeling.
1: For, especially since you are a man who does not like accolades and fanfare. And I know that the no, whole, I really don't. the whole notion of sharing an announcement like this is not really something you want to do, but... We felt compelled to want to show you some love. So, uh, you know, we, I, I, I got to share some messages of support because some, uh, some of our callers tonight earlier in the show uh, really were adamant that they wanted me to sh- send along their, their best wishes. They enjoyed your <sighs> segments. That's from Evelyn in Winnipeg. So clearly you're a beloved man.
4: I, uh, thank you.
1: That's it. I'm not gonna work. All right, that was weird sign. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks. All right, play me out, Maddie. Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding, uh, Andrew. You know the floor is yours. It's your final appearance with us, so I I have no requirements out of you, sir. I just I just don't want you to go. I just does that mean you had requirements before? Because if you did, I absolutely shirked them. I mean, no, no, the only requirements were that, you know, like you're, you're, you're going to be fun and you were always fun. That's, that's always delivered with you.
3: I try. And if I, if I'm not fun, I am at least realistic, which makes people sad. (laughs) It's okay. It's important to remember certain things about life and existence and all that stuff. Uh, Anyway, so I figured it'd be, now's a good time to talk about the history of the universe. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. That's what I figured. Yeah. So, as far as we can tell, uh, the universe began, and the way that we understand the universe, what happened before it has no meaning in the same way that memories before you were born have no meaning. Um, it doesn't make any... It, it, it's not something that makes sense to brains like ours. Hmm. Uh, but the universe is supposedly uh, born about 13.8 billion years ago. And that's with an uncertainty of about 20 million years. Okay. Um, so we've been around for at least 30 minutes now. Um, we're in a very lucky part and time of the universe in that we can see stars. Um, the universe as we can tell based on what we can see in terms of our scientific information, our ability to identify and scan the universe. Um, is expanding, which is something that, uh, not until not too long ago, people didn't think was the case. Um, this expansion is governed by something called the cosmological constant. Uh, I'm not smart enough to explain that mm. to you in words that make sense. Uh, it's just a number that indicates that things are moving apart. You can look that up yourself and watch several hours of university lectures to try and get uh, your understanding of that. Okay, uh, but basically the universe is is spreading apart slowly but surely this doesn't mean per se i am moving further apart from you john um what you it kind does of mean, are
1: but i mean you know we'll let that slide
3: yeah, yeah in, a, in a different way in a more emotional way yeah um but quite literally the space in which we occupy is itself spreading apart it's not coming out of anything. The very fabric of the space and time that we occupy is pulling apart. Um, and as far as we can tell, this trend is accelerating. Uh, we don't exactly know why, but we have a hypothesis, and that hypothesis is called dark energy. Uh, whatever dark energy is, it likely makes up about three quarters of everything, hmm. um, which, you know, it's kind of funky when you think about it. Uh, The actual matter that we can see, like chairs and things that aren't chairs, like tables, um, all of those things in the entire universe, that includes stars, spaceships, teddy bears, Barbara Walters, Hmm. uh, that's all visible matter. That's all normal matter, and that makes up something like 5% of the universe. Uh, The rest of it is a combination of stuff we can't see, stuff we don't know exists, and stuff that uh, we don't even have ideas for yet. Um, But where this leaves us is at a bit of a crossroads because we kind of have a pretty good idea of how we got to where we are. Uh, The Big Bang happened, and one thing that I hope people take away from this is that the Big Bang is not an explosion. Um, It's not an explosion so much as a very, very, very rapid expansion. Mm. Uh, Nothing blew up. Um, It didn't blow up in a certain place in the sky. The Big Bang happened everywhere at the same time all at once. Everything expanded. Uh, And that expansion is called inflation. So after inflation, after the Big Bang and inflation, the universe went from, and I'm going to start using scientific notation here, uh, so let's do a, a crash course on that, uh 10 to the 6 is 1 million. That's just 1 with 6 zeros after. Okay. That. Uh 10 to the 9 is a billion. 10 to the 12 is a trillion, right? 10 to the whatever, the whatever is how many zeros there are after the 1. Um so once we get to about about 10 to the -12 seconds. So that's 10 with 12 zeros on the other side of the decimal in the negatives. Oh wow. Um, inflation has ended uh, and the the temperature of the universe has fallen from you know some ungodly crazy temperature of like 10 to the 27 degrees that's one with 27 zeros after it to something a lot cooler like 10 to the 20 uh, degrees something more you know balmy if you will
2: Hmm. Uh,
3: what follows next Happens in this in a series of of microseconds, milliseconds, and nanoseconds, in which we start going through different phases of energy throughout the universe, and eventually where this ends up as uh, is a period called uh, the photon epoch, and that's from about ten seconds old to about three hundred and seventy thousand years. Uh, during this period of time, the universe is cooled down enough in which protons and neutrons uh, can actually bind together because before that, it's too hot; they can't do it. Um, But once it cools down enough, we start getting stuff like hydrogen and helium. Um, And so this happens for about 300,000 years where the universe is essentially plasma. Uh, It's essentially what the sun is made out of. So kind of toasty. And then a funny moment happens called recombination. And this is when suddenly things begin to cool down and spread out to a point where suddenly, once it cools down beyond a certain threshold, all of that free-floating matter suddenly begins to click into place and create stuff like elements. Um and what follows after this is a long period of time called the dark ages. It's about 350 million years of uh, um during which time nothing really happens as far as we can tell besides radiation existing. So kind of boring. Just so starting from Yeah, just the universe chilling. Yeah, for, you know, several, you know, several hundred million years. <laughs> Um, at about 400 million years after the universe was born, we start seeing the first stars and the first galaxy clusters. Um, And this is kind of... We're kind of living in the middle of that age right now. The universe is still full of stuff, as far as we can tell, and that stuff is close enough to us uh, that we can see it, uh, that we can observe it, that we can draw pictures with crayons of it. Um, We can do all sorts of fun things, like wear eclipse glasses so that we don't blind ourselves when we look at eclipses and all that. That's right. And so that's kind of where we are now, 13.8 billion years later. um, The universe that we can see, kind of, as far as we can tell, is about 96 billion light years uh, across the observable universe. And that just means that a beam of light, which is the fastest thing in the universe, would take 97 or 96-ish billion years to cross it, which is, you know, Quite a while. That's it's a long like time. When you put your, It's like when you put your microwave on low by accident, and you're wondering and you're waiting for your frozen food to not be frozen. That's uh, kind of how long it'll take. Michelinas, yeah. Oh man, it's so good, but the wait sometimes just kills me. And stuff. <laughs> I agree. I'm absolutely partial to the Alfredo, by the way. Um, and so that leaves us at a fork in the road now, because we know that the universe is expanding. Uh, we've done measurements and we can't really make sense of the measurements outside of the fact that we know that the universe is expanding. Um, if you want another fun thing to look up in your spare time, you can look up the crisis in cosmology. It has to do with the cosmological constant that I mentioned before, how we measure that value uh, is different between different sources of information. And that's not a good thing because this is supposed to be a constant, it's supposed to be the same, not different. Mm. Um but the 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 value of this constant kind of dictates where the universe goes from here um should the constant be as we measure it essentially um the universe will and this is uh sad but poetic the universe will essentially spread out uh more and more and more and more until even you know eventually what'll happen and this is why I was to say we live in a wonderful time We live in a time period where we can see galaxies and stars and all that, but the universe is expanding. Space itself is increasing in volume. Vroom, vroom. Um, So there will come a period of time where all of the galaxies around us will fade out of existence. They'll exist, but we will have no way to verify that. Mm. Um, It'll be outside of our observable universe because the observable universe is only as far as light can get to us from and if the observable universe moves beyond a bound where it'll take more time for it to get to us than we'll be able to observe it it's effectively out of existence um, we've already lost you know we don't know how much the universe could be infinite but our bubble of the universe is only 96 billion light years across anything outside of that is gone hmm. um, we'll never be able to I- identify it or measure it and as we speak this boundary is closing in on us I should say slowly, but it's not slowly. Um, It'll still take, you know, billions and billions and billions and billions of years for it to get anywhere near us. Um, But as it does, we'll start to see the galaxies around us begin to slowly fade out of existence. Um, And following that, it'll just be kind of the Milky Way is all we'll know. It'll be the universe, if you will. And as more time passes, more, you know, billions of years and dozens of eons and another three or four Michelinus packages... um, Soon, the stars in our galaxy will fade out of, you know, out of the view of our universe because space itself is expanding. And as this continues, the sky will become darker and darker and darker. And that's when stuff gets really sad Mm -hmm. because the ultimate fate of the universe is not good. Generally, Uh, if we are still around, which I don't think we'll be in thousands and thousands of billions of years, um... There's a few major hypotheses about how it all comes to an end. Uh now the kind of most accepted one right now is something called the uh the big freeze. Oh dear, that doesn't sound good.
1: Uh so basically I mean unless you're Leonardo Coelho
3: or yeah, unless then it's fine. Um but what this means is that the universe will essentially Settle to a state of essentially absolute zero. And in that state, nothing will happen ever again. Uh, There will be no energy. There will be no uh, radiation. There will be nothing. Eventually, the stars will fade away. And then eventually, the planets in the solar system, if they're still around, will fade away. And then eventually, the very atoms that make up you and me and teddy bears and Barbara Walters will also literally tear themselves apart, essentially, because the space. Yes, Barbara. The uh, the space that make that constitutes atoms and molecules and us will also spread apart. Um, therefore, over you know uh, over infinite time, um, the universe will go to an infinitesimally small and low value of activity. Very boring. Very very long distance. Uh, Stars are only forecast to really be alive for another 100 trillion years, perhaps. Um, Once they've exhausted their supply of gas, the universe will just have black holes. And black holes also evaporate very slowly, but they do evaporate. Mm. And once they evaporate, there really just isn't much left. It's just nothingness. It's not nothingness. It's something beyond nothingness. Oh, my. It's a nothingness that you cannot fathom, because it's not just black. Black is a concept that we have invented. Um, But a universe with essentially, you know, uh, asymptotically zero energy is literally nothingness. So that's one possible way the universe ends. Uh, There's another one, um, which I also really like, called The Big Crunch. It's not really that great if you like being alive, <laughs> um, but this is under the assumption that the that the cosmological expansion that's currently undergoing will either reverse uh, or slow down and slowly come back. And what this will eventually mean is the universe will not keep expanding; it will instead start to come back together. If you want to imagine a Big Bang in reverse, this is what a big crunch is. Um, Essentially, we'll all just be reduced back into an infinitesimally small point, uh, just as the Big Bang was. Uh, space itself will shrink, and we'll be able to see all of the universe in the you know the brief second before we are all atomized, and then our atomized bits are turned into a single, single dimensional point. But um, for that
1: one milla milli, millisecond, we will know everything. We will see everything, and then
3: we get crunched. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, And now we get into the exotic ways it goes. So the two kind of boring ones are just kind of everything spreads out nice and evenly until it's nothing. Or everything comes back into a, a, a ball of death that kills everything forever. Um, but what if, if you think about it, I mentioned that the big crunch is like the big bang in reverse. Mm-hmm. What if the energy of that big crunch is enough energy to start a new Big Bang. So just a a repeat, a repeat cycle. This is called the Big Bounce. Um, The bounce is that after the Big Crunch, there's enough energy compacted in a single space that the Big Bang happens again. Hmm. Uh, And in this theory, the universe will continuously repeat a cycle of expansion, stagnation, contraction, followed by expansion, stagnation, and contraction over and over again um, into you know d- values of time that truly lack meaning to uh, our horrible monkey brains. Um, so that's one theory. Uh, there's another theory that I really like because it's called the Big Slurp. <laughs> okay. Well, I know uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, related to the Big Gulp that you can find in uh, some convenience stores. No. It is not, in fact, related to the Big Gulp. Uh, the Big Slurp, and this has a lot of fancy, fancy physics, and I'll try to condense it as best as I can here. Uh, the Big Slurp is predicated on the idea that what we see as a vacuum is not a true vacuum. Uh, as far as we can tell from quantum mechanics and quantum physics, when you you know, zoom in to the smallest possible distances, um, there is tons of activity. There's not real nothingness. Uh, virtual particles pop in and out of existence. You can look this up. It's called the quantum foam. It's a theorized kind of lowered limit to anything that there is. And if this big slurp theory you know comes true if this if, you know if, if, if it posits correctly, um, we don't have a true vacuum. but because of the infinite and I do mean infinite possibilities that underlie quantum mechanics. Um, If a point of the universe becomes a true vacuum, that's a bad thing. Because if you remember anything about energy, energy likes to not be energetic. Hot water cools down. It'll always cool down, Mm -hmm. and that's just naturally how it goes. Uh, That goes for all energy. Heat energy tries to go, you know, tries to turn cold. That coldness will try and settle into an even more uniform state. So this is kind of arcing back to that big freeze or kind of heat death of the universe where everything goes to zero. Uh, But this is a bit funkier in that perhaps that zero isn't the real zero. Uh, Perhaps there's a zero below the zero. And if any part of the universe contacts or is able to fluctuate into this true zero, Energy will cascade down into it as it's a lower state of energy. It'll be more at rest. And if that happens, this is what's called vacuum decay. Uh, It's not something fancy from Dyson. If it were, (laughs) it would be a lot less horrifying. Um, But vacuum decay stipulates that if we live in, if our universe at its fundamental state is a false vacuum, not quite zero, um, a single breaker trip. Uh, If you think about it like that, a single breaker trip or a single parcel of the universe's fundamental uh, fabric goes to zero. That's not very good because it'll cascade into everything around it. Um, The universe will want to suddenly tunnel into this brand new lower energy state. And what that will do is erase the entire universe. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, it will, this bubble of pure vacuum, of true vacuum, uh, would expand at the speed of light. And there would be no way to counteract or stop it. Uh, but everything in its path would be reduced to that zero, true zero energy state. In you know, as fast as causality lets it happen. Um, so that's another fun way to think about the universe ending.
1: The universe ending is, you know, it's... It's a sad thing to think about, but one thing that I was told, and I think resoundingly could be true, I can't verify, I'm not a scientist, is that the universe doesn't waste energy, and that when we talk about each other as space dust... Well, we're all born of the same materials, really. When you think back to where it all began and where it's all eventually going, it never wastes energy. Uh, Andrew, I I just got to read a few texts here for you, okay? Like From our listeners who who don't want you to go but want to share their thoughts with you. Uh, uh... We got this one uh, from Catherine. Um she, she wanted to just let you know that she thinks you're a superhuman hero in this cold-hearted world and she wanted to thank you so much for just giving her and the rest of this listening audience the excellence that is uh weird science. Uh London writes uh, the age of the universe doesn't bother me what really freaks me out is the speed at which everything is moving. North America is slowly drifting north northeast. Earth is spinning, also moving around the sun. The sun and our solar system moving in the galaxy and our spiral arm our galaxy moving our universe also moving at speeds which are amazing nighthawk steve also saying andrew is pumping out all this information and yet he's leaving to go back to school imagine that and finally one more thought you will be missed and uh, good luck with school i'm sure many others
3: sharing that same thought andrew we love you buddy oh shucks i love you too john I know, and the rest, of, the rest of you, you're okay. <laughs> I
1: know it's it, it always feels like time is too short, but you know, Andrew, and, and the reality is, we we got billions and billions and billions of years left still. Uh, I mean, as a species,
3: hopefully. Hope I have my doubts, but that's that's an editorial <laughs> for another time. Uh, I I will say though, um, like I've said multiple times over the years, we are lucky to be alive when we are.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so you know, I always. Advocate taking a break and thinking about just how pathetic you are, um, because there's freedom in that. Yeah, no, knowing I... that you're just insignificant is okay. Um, and the grand scheme of things, we are little ants on a little rock, floating in a gigantic sea of nothingness, and coming to terms with that is freeing. I think it's because yeah, it's that powerful. puts everything into perspective. You know, maybe. It's okay if I spilled some hot water on my lap earlier. Things could be way worse. Things could be way worse. We could
1: be big crunched. So, you know, just, just put it all into perspective. Uh, he is Andrew Ferreira. He is the host of Weird Science. He is leaving to go back to school. He will be missed. He is a truly excellent man, a scholar, and a gentleman through and through. Andrew, best of luck with everything moving forward. We're going to miss you. You can find me on Twitter. I'm not going away entirely. No, that's true. At Andrew, Twitter. but worse. That's me.
2: This is the SHIFT Podcast.
1: All right, a very special guest joining us. This has kind of become like a bit of a series, if you will, because you often hear their voices providing the top-hour newscasts, letting us know all the things we need to know about as we head into the next day, the next morning, here on The Weekend Show, heading into a couple of days off, or maybe you get to sleep in, you get to stay up, whatever it is. So we've gotten to know some of our global news anchors, whether it was Toby Kerr, or maybe it was Safiya Perani. Now... It is my pleasure to introduce to you Catherine Garrett. And Catherine, thank you so much for giving us some time here, even though earlier today you stood me up on an earlier Zoom date that we had scheduled.
0: I am so sorry, and thank you for having me on the show, John.
1: Oh, uh, you're very welcome. You know, I'm just giving you a hard time. It wasn't uh, – it's, it's not a big deal. You know, you and I, we both work the late night show on Friday, so mm-hmm. typically – Uh, We don't have a lot of things going on during the day, so I I can absolutely forgive you for standing me up. My heart was only broken for like five minutes, I swear, and then I pulled myself back together. So it's okay. It's okay.
0: Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm I'm happy there's no lasting damage.
1: Well, who knows? Maybe there is. I don't know. We're going to have to find out like a year from now. Am I going to have trust (laughs) issues? Uh, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. But Catherine, uh, you know, you're the newest member of our global news team. Uh, it's been a delight hearing you providing our newscasts uh, whenever I get the chance to hear you when I'm on the shift on the weekend program. Uh, it brings me a personal sense of joy because for those that don't know, and mo- like, let's be honest, no one would know. But you and I have a bit of a working history going back several years ago when I was working at a sports radio station. And you were at that time in the second year of the BCIT, uh, I believe it was the journalism program. Uh, maybe it was the broadcast yes. media program. Okay, so it was the journalism program. And so, you know, this was pre-pandemic. So having an intern was quite a normal thing for most radio stations. And one day, in the bullpen, you know, me and my co-host and my producer were getting ready to do the show later that day. And in comes Catherine Garrett. And uh, right away, like, I'm like, oh, it's an intern. This is kind of nice. But because we worked in a sports radio station... Um, let's not kid ourselves. It's a male dominated industry. So right away, I was kind of impressed. I was, I thought it was great just to see that here's Catherine. It's nice because we haven't had like a woman intern like in a very long time since before you had come in. So. That was when I got to meet you for the first time. Uh, I thought you did a great job as an intern. You had some really good talking points in the bullpen. You got to learn behind the scenes with the producer and all these things. Fast forward to quite recently when I saw the email come into my inbox, uh, I think it was about a month ago now, announcing that Catherine Garrett has joined the Global News team, and it just made me so happy just to see that you're a part of the team. So First of all, welcome, Catherine. It's a delight working with you now.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny how uh, it, it it went from being like I I was scared out of my mind walking into that station as an intern, and then now uh, we're we're coworkers.
1: Yeah, I mean the industry is small, right? And they always say never burn bridges, always try to make friends, and you know all those things. But it is quite true. Like now I've gotten the chance to work with a bunch of people over my short career and uh, many of them, you know, I've met in earlier stops or we've just somehow crossed paths in the past. So here we are another example of that industry sort of mantra coming true. Uh, before you joined the team at Global, where were you and what were you doing up in Northern BC?
0: Well, um, that's a bit of a funny story. I, before, before even that, I was working as a line cook because I didn't have a driver's license. And I've I've since got that. And uh, I eventually was hired at a news station in Prince George. And I spent the last roughly 16 or 17 months working as a reporter and news anchor up there. basically for the entire the entirety of the pandemic, barring about a month ago.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, if I'm not mista- mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're originally from northern BC, are you not? Or you're from a part of northern BC?
0: Yes, I'm from Haida Gwaii, British Columbia. Yeah. There you go. So, okay,
1: so <laughs> going to Prince George was probably not like the biggest adjustment for you because you might be used to that smaller town feel, if you want to put it that way. <laughs>
0: Yes, it felt a little bit like coming home. It was, but there, were, there were some similarities between Prince George and Haida Gwaii for sure. Um, and also, we used to go to Prince George on, on sports trips. So I had been there a couple of times uh, in my youth days in high school.
1: <laughs> well, let's get into that then. So we're, we're getting to know who you are. And mm-hmm. so what were some of the sports that you, you kind of played in high school growing up? And what are some of the sports that are still near and dear to your heart to this day?
0: Okay, well, I tried to play sports in high school, but I'm not, I'm uncoordinated and clumsy and uh, do much better watching them than I do participating. <laughs> so I, uh, I grew up in a basketball household. Both my brother and my dad played basketball and uh, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins and everything, too. Um, so I tried that. It didn't work, and I tried. I tried soccer, and that didn't work. Mm-mm. And I eventually uh, mo- moving to Gwaii, I was born in Ontario, and moving to Gwaii, they're very big on their hockey up there as well. And so, at restaurants and things, they would always have the Canucks game on. So it was just sort of what I ended up watching, and I, I totally fell in love with hockey around grade ten. Can't play it. Can't skate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I eventually came to the conclusion around the age of 15 or 16 that I wanted to go do sports broadcast sports broadcasting sorry and that was always stuck in my head like that it's been like that for as long as I can remember sports broadcasting or news or anything of the sort um it's really awkward when you can't play any sports, though. <laughs> uh, it, it, but on the other hand, there's hockey, and then there's also gymnastics. I've been a very big fan of gymnastics mm. pretty much for as long as I can remember, as well. But again, I, I'm quite tall, so that didn't work out either.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I guess like the shorter and smaller you are for gymnastics, the easier it is to do some of those, you know, like triple backflips. Vaulting. <laughs> I don't know the jargon because I'm not really much of a gymnast. I, I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm. I mean, I'm, I. I don't have much of the jargon off the top of my head right now either. But. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was going to ask you since hockey is so close to your heart now, uh, because you're from Ontario, are you a Maple Leafs fan or if you're a Canucks fan? But if you only started loving hockey after you moved to Haida Gwaii, I'm assuming then your allegiance is with the Vancouver Canucks.
0: It's been with the Vancouver Canucks for as long as I can remember. All of my extended family are HABS fans. It's awful. It makes family gatherings <laughs> awkwardly. <laughs>
1: So, I guess for them, they're actually pretty happy these days because the Habs are the last uh, standing Canadian team that left in the playoffs.
0: It has been absolutely insufferable (laughs) trying to listen to them. But yes, they are very happy.
1: Uh, With your uh, two years at BCIT, did you also get involved in a little bit of sports broadcasting? Because I know when I was a student there, one of the things that were available to students that were interested in it uh, was to do either like play-by-play broadcasting or color commentary or sideline reporting with, at that time, it was the Burnaby Express of the BCHL that team has relocated it's renamed I don't even think they're in the same uh, league anymore but I'm wondering if that opportunity was still present when you were there as a student
0: it was and my very first time calling a hockey game I think was right next to one of the uh, shift alumni Andrew Ferreira
1: oh look at that okay and Andrew you know he's he's leaving us soon but we certainly have enjoyed and loved his weird science segments on the show
0: it's true. And like uh, obviously, Andrew and I are, are good friends because of this. But he actually hired me onto the Richmond Sockeyes PJHL team as an analyst. And that's how I ended up starting, in, I guess, sports broadcasting or call- calling hockey games. And every Thursday night in Richmond. And then eventually I t- transitioned to a different team with the White Rock Whalers as a color commentator.
1: Oh yeah, I I know the logo with the White Rock Whalers. Just beautiful stuff. Like if anyone thought the Hartford Whalers had a beautiful logo, and they did, uh, you would absolutely appreciate it and really have a soft spot in your heart, an affection for what the White Rock Whalers logo looks like. Same colors, if I'm not mistaken, just that striking mm-hmm. blue and green and white, and I think a little bit of silver or gray in there as well. It's just it's a nice color mix. Uh, all right, so. If Catherine isn't working, like let's say you got a day off and you can do whatever you like, where could one find Catherine? What would, what would Catherine be doing?
0: Well, pre-pandemic times, I would definitely be found on commercial drive because outside of work, outside of um, journalism and all of that, I am a competitive spoken word poet and through that, I've gone to a handful of national competitions and things in Victoria, Guelph, um, even Portland. And so it, it's really, uh, I honestly, it, it's a huge network of poets across Canada that I now... Um, I, it, I'm a part of the community and I love, I love them all.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. And so is mm-hmm. this a specific type of poetry? Is it slam poetry or is it kind of like just a, uh, 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 maybe sometimes a mix of different varieties?
0: Um, It's pretty much, uh, it, it, you can do sort of whatever you want, but if you get into the more competitive aspects, there are rules. Mm. Um, For example, you can't plagiarize. It has to be all your own work. And there's obviously no hate speech or things like that. Uh, But if you get into more of the casual open mic side, there's lots of people who use music to accompany it or animal acts or uh, pretty much any weird thing you can think of.
1: (laughs) I love that. I actually really love that because... um... Not much of a poet these days, but one of my shticks when I was in sports radio was coming up with little haikus or little poems for the Mm -hmm. Canucks performances, most of which were awful simply because the Canucks (laughs) never gave me any inspiration to write anything good. Let's be honest, it hasn't been a very good stretch lately. Um, But with that said, I want to move to a geography-based quiz because I've done this with Sophia and I've done this with Toby and they've, they've had a lot of fun with it. So if you're ready, I want to ask you four very... Easy, I think, are easy, but it can be a little challenging. Questions related to Canadian geography, if you're ready. I'm ready. Lay it on me. It's the same question I asked both of them. So let's start north. What is the furthest north that you have ever been in Canada?
0: In Canada? Oh. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is pretty north. 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 Uh, that is pretty north. I mean, when, and this is when like the geography part kicks in because you're like, is is Haida Gwaii more north than let's say Edmonton, or is it more north than other places that I might have been to? So
0: it's... oh, I'm not sure. You're making me second guess myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we'll we'll take that answer, and I think that's great because not many people have like that I know have had a chance to even really visit Haida Gwaii, So I think that's that's great that you actually kind of grew up there, which I think is fascinating. All right, moving on. What's the furthest east you've been in Canada?
0: <laughs> furthest east um it would be somewhere in ontario i'm assuming like kitchener waterloo toronto type area
1: okay and that's because you were you were born in that area right so that's just kind of where you
0: were yes uh and all of my extended families there yeah all of my extended family is in southern ontario and around that area and we go back for visits and, and things like that
1: you've yet to visit the maritimes no visit to quebec
0: Never been to Quebec or the Maritimes.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that is still missing on my itinerary. Like, I've been to Quebec City. I've been to Montreal and several stops Mm -hmm. in between. But I'd love to drive the Confederation Bridge. You know, I think that's one of the the key experiences that a lot of Canadians have uh, had a chance to do. I haven't yet. Feels like I'm missing out. I'm a bridge fan. I don't know if that makes any sense. That might be the weirdest
0: Oh, no. I totally get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like just the design and how they look. Anyways, Uh, what's the furthest south you've been in Canada? This one's a little easier because we're always kind of nestled along the U.S. border.
0: Furthest south I've been in Canada. Um, So the obvious choice here is Vancouver, but I still think Toronto and Kitchener and that sort of bundle of cities is a little farther south.
1: I think you're correct. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I'll have to go with that again.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. So in that sense, have you ever driven from like? Do you remember if you were younger, uh, staying in parts of Ontario and then driving across the border to the United States? Maybe going to like I don't know, Michigan or, or maybe Boston. I don't. Maybe Boston's further towards Quebec.
0: I don't think we we didn't drive across the border, but we did go to Niagara Niagara Falls, and uh, I saw Buffalo. No, half uh, words are hard. I saw Buffalo, New York. Oh, um, ah, okay. But I, I've never actually been to it. If you know what I
1: mean. Fair enough. You saw it. You just never really got to visit it. That makes sense. Uh, Across and
0: finally, the way.
1: Finally, that brings us: uh, where's the furthest west? And I think we might hear another repeat answer if 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 Haida Gwaii I, <laughs> Yes, Yes, Gwaii,
0: I think, is the farthest west I've been. And
1: just to be sure, Haida Gwaii is further west than Vancouver Island. It, it, it's it's like this and that.
0: In my mind, mind, that seems to make
1: sense. Yeah, because like BC gets a little bit thinner at the bottom and then like a little bit thicker at the top. If that makes sense, right? It kind of stretches out this way. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the Alaska Panhandle that makes things a little bit complicated when you look at the map of things. But I digress. This is my social studies like 11 class coming to fruition. It's crazy that I still remember these things. (laughs) All right, Uh, and Catherine, uh, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Seeing you uh, grow and develop into a wonderful broadcaster Uh, A pleasure now to call you a teammate As we work together here on Global And thank you for giving us some time As we get to know Catherine Garrett
0: Well, thank you, John And I'm sorry for standing you up earlier today
1: You are forgiven Don't do it again You're dead to me (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot for
0: this All right It's the Shift Podcast
1: All right, welcome back to The Shift and happy that you're with us as we slide into the weekend. Slide Tackle. Into the weekend. This is a very cheesy segue as we get into this next conversation. Now, I'm not sure you've noticed, but right now is a really good time to be a sports fan. I mean, just think about it, right? The NHL and the NBA playoffs are ongoing right at this moment. Baseball is back, which I know Leo Cuello is so happy about. The NFL season also getting closer and closer. Teams are currently holding training camp, a lot of storylines there. But the world of soccer takes the main stage as of Friday as one of the most popular tournaments officially opened. I'm not a huge soccer fan, I will admit. Maybe you aren't either, and and that's okay. So to help break it all down, we are now joined by Adam Laskaris from Offside Sports, which you can find online at The Daily Hive. Adam, appreciate you giving us some time here tonight. Yeah,
5: thanks for having me.
1: Now here we are uh June I guess not not technically middle of June but uh, it's close enough and whereas most Canadians are focused on of course the Stanley Cup playoffs I guess everywhere else around the world a lot more people are paying close attention now to the 2020 UEFA European Championship. You can basically just call it Euro 2020. It's one of those exciting uh, soccer slash football, whatever terminology you prefer, uh, tournaments that's held uh, right now in, uh, of course, Europe. And it's kind of like the FIFA World Cup, but instead of the entire world, it's just Europe. <laughs> Again, I'm really reinforcing that blunt statement. And uh, you know, one of the things that I'll admit, Adam, is that I haven't paid a uh, close enough attention to some of the storylines going into. To this particular tournament, so since it kicked off on Friday, you know, what are some of the more interesting things that you're keeping an eye out for?
5: Um, yeah, no, I think one thing that'll be interesting is sort of just how, um, you know, fan fan interactions are always sort of an interesting thing, like different, different venues a- across this tournament, which is, you know, taking place all over Europe, it was supposed to be, uh, I mean, in most years it's, it's just in one place, and this tournament's taking place all over Europe, so I think one thing just generally is interesting to see sort of how how the fans will be because, you know, some places have limited fans, some places have larger capacity crowds. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see just sort of how that's managed. I think it's unfortunate, but, you know, people will be interested to see if there's any, you know, players that are, are, you know, uh, testing positive, if there's any, you know, big, uh, big issues with that. So that's one thing, which is, you know, a bit of a downer, but it's something that has to be sort of at the forefront. And then just when it comes into, uh, you know, the actual storylines, I think, uh, um, you know, the French team is, they're they're the betting favorites once again. You know they won the they won the World Cup uh, in 2018 and they won or they were in the final in 2016 for the Euro. So I think the the big kind of question is uh, seeing if there's going to be a French dynasty or for if, if anybody's going to be able to take them down.
1: Oh, I love that a lot. And the word dynasty in sports is so rarely used nowadays. It feels like every year, and most major sports, right, whether it's uh, football, baseball, soccer, it doesn't really matter. There's always seemingly a number of teams that's routinely cycling, but you never hear of a true dynasty. Like the only real dynasty that I can think of in modern time, it would be like the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. So when you then take a bigger perspective on international games, you know, countries like france who always seem to be very uh, competitive and you know at least the fifa world cup and of things of that nature uh spain portugal no surprise i'm sure for you adam because that's also you know uh, where a lot of the world's best players generally come from
5: yeah i mean france the uh, the big thing for them is uh 2018 was uh killing mbappe's coming out party of sorts he uh, I believe, he won the tournament's best young player he made the uh tournament all-star team and yeah he's you know just a a young kid who who had been heralded as being one of the next great players and right now he's he's sort of uh leading the pack there they've got um they've got paul pogba who's always you know he's he's a talent he's a star on on manchester united and then they got an angola conte who's uh, who's a force in midfield so they've really got a good mix of, of guys uh it's kind of interesting to see um you know at a tournament like this you never really know uh you never really know if you're, you're, you're witnessing history until you see it because there's, there's teams like France that, uh, you know, your people are talking about them for years and then they just come out of nowhere. So uh, another interesting storyline, I think it's, it's, um, it, I mean, it's talked about at every international soccer tournament, but it's going to be, if this is the one that England can finally win, I mean, they won the world cup back in 66 and have been trying to win a major tournament ever since then. So that's uh, an interesting one. They made the, the world cup, uh, semi uh, back in 2018, three years ago now. And, uh, I know, I know people are really curious if they're sort of trying to cash in on what they think is a, is a good generation of young players, but they, uh, you know, until you do it, it's, uh, it's still always going to be if uh, people are going to be wondering if, if England's a first team.
1: Uh, when it comes to things like Euro or also the FIFA World Cup, people always look at the groups and how each nation is divided into these uh, particular divisions, if you will. And there's always, each and every time, the group of death. So which one to you s- sort of stands out as that particular group of death?
5: Um, yeah, no, it would definitely be the one uh, that, that France is in, actually, this go around. Uh, so I believe it is Group F. Um and yeah, that's the one, you know, if you look at France's schedule themselves, uh, they've got, they've got Germany and they've got Portugal. So that's two, two big sides. And then they got Hungary, who's actually playing at home. Um, so they're, they're playing at home, but you know, you, they got to play Portugal, Germany and France. So it is, uh, it is an interesting one to see how that one will shape out. Uh, the one thing that's interesting about the Euro is, um, just the way that it, the format's set up, being a 24-team tournament with uh, 16 teams advancing, so you can finish third in that group and still and still make it through. Um, usually, it's about a 4 four-point uh, four threshold. So if you have a one win and one draw in there, you can make it through. So we'll see if Hungary is able to su- surprise. You know, if they get a draw against somebody, that could really you know shake up the whole rest of the rest of the tournament. So that's one that will be. Um, yeah definitely real interesting but they're not getting underway until until tuesday i believe so it'll be uh something to keep an eye on for sure.
1: Never say never because you can ask Team Germany how it felt when South Korea eliminated them in the group stage during the FIFA World Cup in Russia and as a South Korean you know to me like that was a huge huge moment for soccer in football or sorry uh, soccer in Korea because uh, generally speaking Korea is like the little Asian team that that could but you never anticipate that they're gonna go and you know defeat some of the more heavyweight teams and so when they were placed in that particular group of death back in the FIFA World Cup uh, just to see that wow we've knocked out germany that's a huge accomplishment so never say never with a little team like hungary so on that note here adam is there like a dark horse team that maybe is interesting to you because as you explain there's home turf for a bunch of different nations it's being played all over the continent and maybe just maybe it, it just comes down to random luck but is there one team that has the potential to go on like that cinderella run
5: um, I think the big thing with uh, with tournaments like this is I mean it sounds uh, I mean it sounds very basic but you need somebody that can score goals for you. So I think you need to really look at a team like Poland with a guy like Robert Lewandowski who's you know maybe maybe the best goal scorer in the world and if he goes on a run he scores, you know, two goals in a game, they pick up, you know, win in a the game they weren't supposed to. That's always important. I think it's kind of strange like Croatia was was the dark horse that made it into the the World Cup final. Uh, three years ago now, and so I don't know if they're a dark horse if they if they come back and repeat. And then uh, a country like Netherlands, they had uh, they fallen off. They actually they didn't qualify in uh, 2016 for the last Euro, so that was a, a real surprise. So I don't know. They're, they've been an international superpower, and they're kind of trying to rise their way back back up the ranks. So those are a couple of the teams. Um, I mean, it's it is really I don't know. It's pretty rare that a team actually is. Uh, is a dark horse in international soccer and actually goes out and wins the whole thing. Um, I guess for, for me, it's a I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Greek descent. So in 2004, Greece uh, ended up winning it all in the, in the Euro. And I kind of know that I don't think they'll ever, they'll ever do that again. They're not even qualified this time around. You know, they've struggled qualifying for various, their various world cups in Euro since then. So I don't know, maybe we've already seen enough uh, dark horses for a lifetime, but um, yeah, Poland might be my pick if, if I had to choose one.
1: I'm just reminded of that story from I think it was a bunch of years ago, but when Iceland managed to captivate the entire world and like what 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 was it, like forty percent of Iceland's population traveled to I believe it was France where the Euro was being held that year and they just went to support their national team and uh, obviously, you know, they didn't and I don't think they ended up winning the whole thing, but just again, that little team, that little country with nothing but pride and a lot of heart that managed to pull off some very surprising results at that time.
5: Yeah, they ended up losing um, to France in the quarterfinal that year. Um, so they uh, that was Euro 2016. So it's weird. It feels like it was it was the last cycle, but it's been five years already, right? So so much has changed since then. Uh, that was, yeah, just early summer 2016. Just uh, think about all the, the world events that have gone on since then. And that was just kind of <laughs> a fun one. They ended up uh, knocking off England in the... Uh, in the round of 16 2 1. So um, they just, that, that kind of shows you, you know, the way this tournament, I'm just, I pulled up the results right now and they, they drew uh, Portugal in the first game. They then drew Hungary in the second game. And then they they got um, a win against Iceland. So, or sorry, a win against Austria. And then they beat England in the next round. And then they they ran into the uh, the Giants of France and, and ended up losing five two in a, in a game where they looked pretty outclassed. So, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's cool how the tournament goes with the with the storylines, right? Like that that was only really a, a two two and a half week period that they were actually in the tournament, mm-hmm. but it feels like you know, the whole world starts to pick up on their story a little bit more. And then the next game, they got so many more eyeballs on it. And then the later in the tournament it goes, um, it's natural to to want to root for the underdog. Right. So it, it'd be interesting to see what, what sort of country, um, captivates people's, uh, people's attention to go around. Oh,
1: precisely that. And as you know, as I said a few minutes ago, I'm uh, a South Korean, you know, I obviously am also Canadian. None of those two countries obviously are in the Euro because none of them exist in Europe. Uh, makes sense. So, how do you then decide which nation you're going to be rooting for during the Euro? If you don't have like a natural uh, connection to any of these countries, like how do people usually decide? Like, oh, I'm going to be uh, Team Belgium, or I'm going to be uh, Team—I uh, don't know—England for for that matter. Does it just come down to like, hmm, where's my favorite player playing, or where are they from?
5: Yeah, I mean that ha- that happens a lot with it. I know England, I uh, guess, a big kind of international presence even among. Um, you know, Americans and Canadians who might not have full English size just because the Premier League is the biggest league in the world. So that kind of happens. Uh, and then you, you just, it does really gravitate, sort of. Yeah. Like, like who's hot? It's, it's easy to, you know, cheer for France if they're doing well. Belgium's kind of been the fun underdog for, um, almost a decade now. It's, they've really, you know, bolstered their, uh, bolstered their infrastructure in uh in the country it's strange they don't really have a great great domestic league like their their teams don't really do that well internationally um but their players you know go abroad and they they go play in Spain they go play in England they go play in Germany and uh yeah so Belgium is kind of the, the fun team that hasn't actually pulled it off yet um so it'll be yeah you could just kind of go with storylines you go with big players and um you know some people they, they stick to a team for life based on that even if they don't <laughs> have any any maternal ties or or uh, paternal ties and then some people they just kind of uh just kind of go loosey-goosey and you know pick a team and ride it ride with them for three weeks and they either enjoy it or they say okay next next go around i'm picking somebody else and uh, i think in canada that's kind of a, a luxury we, we have where you know if as long as you uh as long as as long as you're there and you're supporting, I think most people are, are pretty open to it. And they're you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have obviously people who are, are more invested in it. But at the same time, it's uh, it's a pretty easy game to understand. I find right like you just you know the ball goes in the net and you know the team with more <laughs> goals wins. So um, I think most people understand that the basic rule of soccer and it's it's pretty easy to get invested uh, into a team for over a short period of time.
1: For sure, yeah. I mean, hey, they call it the beautiful game for a reason. As for my personal allegiance as a current free agent, I'm going to let our listeners tonight decide, maybe with the text message inbox, who I should start rooting for, because as of right now, uh, I owe no allegiance, but I'd like to. I-, I think it makes cheering for things like this a little bit more fun when you start rooting for a specific team or a specific nation. Uh, he, he is Adam Laskaris. You can find his work uh, with the, the Daily Hive at Offside Sports. Adam, appreciate you giving some time here
5: yeah thanks for having me
1: All right, So there you go. You got caught up a little bit on some of the fun facts surrounding this particular tournament uh, for soccer fans you know it 's a big deal for them uh, it's just, it 's not the same as the FIFA World Cup, which only happens every four years. But as Leo Coelho, our technical producer here at uh, at The Shift, uh, occasionally, but with Charles Adler, a whole bunch of shows at CKNW, Leo tweeting me just now saying, In Brazil, we typically say that the Euro Cup is the World Cup without Brazil and Argentina. The premise is that usually World Cup contenders besides the European teams are just these two nations. Everyone else is perceived as an underdog, hence the saying. So there you go. Leo completely disrespecting Team South Korea, which is awesome. Thanks for that, Leo. I really, really enjoy that.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: Before we go any further, Maddie, I want to ask you, how are you feeling right now? Because earlier, like maybe about 40 minutes ago, when Leonardo Cuello, the technical producer tonight for The Charles Adler Show, was in the seat that you're sitting in right now I just opened the door and I said Hi Leo, you know, how you doing? And I realized right away Why is it so cold in there? And apparently Leo likes to keep Any room that he's in At 16 degrees So how are you feeling? Because that is pretty damn cold
6: I am freezing um, Anytime that I'm, <laughs> I, I'm working after him I have to wait I have to bump up the So he keeps it like 63 Fahrenheit yeah. in here Um, normally folks, I mean, I used to complain when Andrew, uh, Ferreira would keep it at 69 Fahrenheit. I I was like, okay, I guess I got to keep wearing my sweater. Right. But yeah, I have to wait for the temperature to bump up for about like 10, 15 minutes. I realize everybody has their temperature that they, Mm -hmm. they, they have, they work in and they, it works for them. You know, you don't want to get too overheated. Um, if you're freezing, you're, you're, it keeps you from falling asleep.
0: Uh, yeah apparently, which is good yeah
6: um it's an old night shift trick but yeah i've i've i'm freezing i've got my cup of coffee here yeah you've got your hands
1: cradled around that mug <laughs> it 's the only source of uh like warmth to you right now, your whole shaking, your teeth are chattering uh, i mean that's cold that's cold now. Leo is not just some bizarre, strange dude that just really prefers to live in an ice box. Uh, Leo explained to me, like, look, he's from Rio. Right, he's from Brazil. It's a hot country, so they just really appreciate air conditioning. And he told me, like a lot of people from Rio are just like me. We like our rooms cool. We like it chilled. Otherwise, we're just sweating all day, and nobody likes that.
6: Yeah, but it's like a meat locker in here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair.
1: I mean, hey, if you brought dinner with you, you could just keep it next to you and wouldn't go bad. It's one way to you know conserve energy with the uh, with the with the refrigerator and the lack of thereof. But I'm wondering now, Matt, like, what's your ideal temperature when you walk into a room let's say it's maddie's office what, what are you doing with the thermostat where are you putting it uh
6: 72 degrees fahrenheit ideally you know if we're talking celsius um i can't do conversion on the fly but if we're talking celsius here about 20 i would say anywhere in the 1920 celsius okay is the uh, to quote my nephew the exact temperature that I like to be.
1: All right. Okay. That's very specific. I like that. I think I'm a little bit uh, higher on the thermostat than you are. I I like it 23. 23 to 24. That's got me in a very comfortable setting. I feel like I'm at peak efficiency.
6: Yeah, you you know, you can you know rock a t-shirt no problem in that in that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, if you happen to get a little too chilly, you can throw on a sweater, like Sizzling Steve says in the uh, text message inbox. But sometimes you might not have a sweater. Like Maddie, you don't have a sweater with you right now. I didn't bring one. No. See, that's the thing. Like you don't you don't always have your whole wardrobe with you, so you can't just uh, you can't just find a simple solution like that. The the question for you tonight, listening eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. What temperature? Do you like to set on your thermostat, whether you're at home, in your bedroom, or in the office? What temperature do you like to put it at where you're comfortable and you can work and you don't necessarily fall asleep? Like, it has to be the right perfect temperature for you. What's that gonna be? Or in your truck. Or in your truck. That's right. Yeah, if you're in a truck and you're driving along, like, I'm sure there's people that like having the windows down all the time. You know, that fresh air, that breeze keeps you awake, keeps you alert. Maybe there's people that also just love turning on the heater. You know, you just don't like cold. You don't like chills. Maybe it it gives you goosebumps. And maybe goosebumps are not the greatest. So you let us know. Maybe by the end of the night, Maddie, we'll uh, tabulate the votes. And we'll see if there's a general consensus. What do our shift heads find to be the perfect temperature? It's the strangest survey i've ever conducted but let's see if we can build a consensus here tonight
6: it is i find people can be very 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 specific about about this stuff so yeah. it'll be interesting
1: all right yeah and sizzling steve uh, suggesting have your employer put a space heater in there yeah i don't think they're going to do that considering we have a fully functional heating and centralized air conditioning system it's just you know from from one tech producer to another when you're the only one in that room you know you have to have that adjustment like 30 minute period where the room has to change
6: yeah usually it's not much of one but uh if you're working after leo you gotta, gotta bring a sweater <laughs>
1: uh just a reminder we're not making fun of leo we love leo oh, leo's, yeah, yeah. A, leo's a sweetheart oh totally it's just that his sweet sweetheart happens to be frozen because he lives in an icebox 24 7 i know he's listening right now so we love you leo uh it's nothing bad i swear the question for you right now what is your perfect and ideal room temperature when you're at home in bed just trying to be comfortable let's find out at eight seven seven three nine nine 98 98 let's Connect with Ken calling in from Calgary. Ken, welcome to the shift.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. You, you got, got it. It. You're great. Uh, you always
1: put up with me. <laughs> You're always a delight, Ken, so thank you for yeah, calling.
4: I, I'm one of those old guys. I'm only 85.
1: Oh, that's a great age.
4: Yeah, appreciate it is. That. Yeah, all and, right. And, uh, you know, uh, I feel good. That's good? I feel healthy.
1: Well, good. That tells yeah. me that you have found and a good temperature to stay in, Ken. Right now, it's set at 57. Fifty-seven. Yeah. that's Fahrenheit. What is th- that's that like? That is Fahrenheit. That is cold, Ken. That is very no, cold. No,
4: I got a comforter and two blankets on and a sheet.
1: <laughs> all right, so I take it you're saving money by not using the heater, but then you're staying warm by using all the layers you just described.
4: Absolutely, and I do my own laundry, too. <laughs> oh,
1: see, Ken, you're a smart man. We appreciate the call here tonight. No, I'm trying. All right. As
4: my wife always told me, yes, dear, you are. Very <laughs> trying. <giant. laughs>
1: hey, Ken, thanks for the call here.
4: Hi, thanks
1: for loving. You got it. That's uh, Ken in Calgary. Hey, that is a chilly temperature. I'm not sure we're going to build consensus on that one, but I I applaud the man.
6: Yeah, that's colder than Leo had it in here earlier. Yeah,
1: Yeah, he probably looks at Leo's, uh, what was it, 67? 63. 63 and just laughs. Ken's laughing right now to the bank. Uh, Let's connect with Evelyn calling in from uh, Winnipeg. Evelyn, welcome to The Shift.
7: Hey, John, it's nice to talk to you again. You too. Well, before, before I share, I'd like to say um, goodbye to Andrew, because oh. his segment was really interesting. And now that he's, you know, a scholar, he wants to go back to school. You know, <laughs> we, we, we can't keep him from that. You're so. right.
1: You're right. He's now, he's now a certified scholar and a gentleman. This is true.
7: Awesome. So, okay, so the temperature. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm one of those normal breed that likes the twenty two, twenty three uh, area. Yes, yes. I live in a basement apartment, so basically, if the doorknobs are too cold, oh. okay, then then, then I, then I do the comforter thing. Like, there's like piles.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that a lot. And you're in a basement apartment in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg, as we know, can get pretty darn cold out there.
7: Well, and not only that, we've been deprived of going to places that are hot.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point.
7: Yeah, I know. So anybody who's suffering out there, hang in there. Hang in there. We're we're, 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 we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. So, no. So, John, you know, you enjoy the rest of your your weekend if I don't, you know, tag into your station on on the weekend. Thank you, Evelyn. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you enjoy. And remember to pass on my message. Will do. I'll I'll let him know.
1: Thank you, Evelyn. We appreciate you you.
7: Okay, I appreciate you too. Okay, so you take care.
1: Bye now. Uh, That is uh, Evelyn in Winnipeg. That was just a very, very sweet call. What is your ideal room temperature? When you get to set the thermostat at home, what is your go-to number? Everyone's got one. What is that sweet, satisfactory number? where you'd say, ah, this is it. I can do anything I want when it's X degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit, depending on how your thermostat at home reads. Eight seven seven 9898 Let's check in with Terry uh, calling in from Toronto. Terry, welcome to The Shift.
4: Uh, thank you, John. I have a number, but it depends on what time of year it is. Oh. But when... Uh, the weather is like it was earlier this week here in southern Ontario when it's hot, hazy, and humid. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I would love that setting to be 18 or 19 Celsius. But fast forward five months, if I walked into the place and it was 18 or 19, I'd be saying, "Ooh, it's cold.
7: Turn <laughs> the up.
4: So uh, for me, it's, uh, yeah, I, I have lived in a situation where uh, I'm a polar bear, and I lived with a hot house <laughs> plant, and there was a constant battle on the thermostat.
1: Oh, I bet. And see, that's the thing, is that no two people are ever really alike, especially in a work situation where if you're in an office or something, it's always a fight for the thermostat. I think it's one of the major points of contention for coworkers and things.
4: Yeah, and every female staff member I ever worked with had a sweater at the office on ah. standby.
1: There you go. Yeah, I mean, hey, it, sometimes you just have to come prepared for all the circumstances, but there you go, Terry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Appreciate you uh, giving us the call here tonight. Cheers, bud. You got it. That's Terry in Toronto and a and a smart man. Sometimes you got to adjust because mother nature, you got to work with what you got, right? And I think that's a very smart way to approach this particular situation. Uh, let's also connect with Dinny uh, calling in from Winnipeg. Dinny, hi, you're on the shift.
2: Hi. Uh you know what? I got I got some sage advice here. Okay make sure before you marry a person that you're you're okay on the temperatures because ah. that's
1: a kind of divorce. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right because one of the most important things we can do as human beings on a day-to-day basis is get some sleep. But how can you get some sleep if you can't find the right temperature? I mean, nobody wants to sleep too cold or too
4: hot.
2: Oh, I had to uh, go out. Uh, my brother, who likes it really hot, Yeah, he's at the... Uh, I live in a condo, and the uh, ducking is kind of a central U. Right. He lit. He gets the first blast on the air or the heat. I get almost nothing because I'm at the end. Yeah. But that's right. I bought a fan that blows on me all night long.
1: <laughs> so, are, do you prefer it a little bit cooler than usual? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
2: Definitely. But I did have a boyfriend once who worked out so hard, his metabolism just went through the roof Mm. and if it was above 14 degrees celsius he was sweating
1: oh wow okay so maybe that also helped keep things going (laughs)
2: <laughs> I did.
7: <laughs>
2: That's good. I had no choice, man. He found me one night. I I was in the extra room, covered in blankets, right. and all the coats in the house with a blow dryer under them. Oh <laughs> But I think oh, warm.
1: And he's just over there sweating, being like, "Where'd you go? Where, why aren't you in <laughs> Where bed? Where would he
2: go?
3: Yeah. Oh my and goodness. He found
2: me under this heap, yeah, <laughs> on the floor. But uh, anyways, I'm gonna so miss Andrew. He was a favorite. My heart is just breaking. But I have one request for for you and Matt. Okay. Go live Saturday night. I beg you. (laughs) Saturday night is the absolute loneliness. And I get... Repeat and repeat and repeat. Well, you know,
1: Denny, I appreciate you giving us the call here tonight. And, uh, you know, in terms of what we can do for you on Saturday, we'll run it up the flagpole. I'm not sure that there's any uh, plans for, for a live Saturday. That's a lot of hours that people are going to have to work right now. But... Never say never. That's the uh, that's the trick with this industry. In terms of what the magic number is for your ideal room temperature, 877-399-9898, Catherine in Sturry says, rather simply, I wear clothes. So 17 degrees Celsius is Catherine's uh, go-to. Stuart in Edmonton says around 20 degrees Celsius. And I think that's a pretty solid standard. I think, Matt, that's what you had said, right? 20 degrees? Yeah, yeah. Roy in Wasaga Beach saying, at work, I like 18 degrees. At home, 22 degrees is good. I do access control security, and when the uh, truckers come to my space, they don't want to leave. So there you go. All right. Uh, Rich in Carson City, uh, really in Nevada when you think about this. so Rich lives in a pretty hot, dry, humid place. Put me down for 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Most people my age freeze to death at such temperatures, but I'm young for my age.
0: Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast.
4: Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca.